The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company in this second hour of the program. Hannah Ma on our chat box on tntradio.live has had something uh, pointed to say about Harry. Uh, Hannah Ma says, Harry was hoping his newfound love for his dad would remove the focus from his trouble with the African Park situation. Well, Harry has a few contentious issues to deal with at the moment. Um, that's the way of uh, scrutiny as a royal, and he still is a royal, as you know. People power is a wonderful thing, always has been a wonderful thing. I've been involved in some people power movements myself that uh, I have been awfully proud of, but enough. Brussels has abandoned its most demanding emissions targets after the farmers' revolt. I've been telling you over the past three weeks how large and extensive these farmers' revolts have been right across Europe and uh, even in Scotland and uh, in other parts of the world. It's been fantastic. Demonstrations have taken place across Europe, including in France, Germany, Poland, and on Monday in Italy where convoys of tractors were preparing an invasion of Rome. The discontent was brought to the European Parliament's doorstep last week when thousands of farmers snarled up the Belgian capital, blocking roads with tractors, burning tyres and toppling the statue of John Cockerell, a 19th century entrepreneur who played a key role in the Industrial Revolution. However, the disaffection has been brewing since the summer of 2022 in the Netherlands. That was the trigger because that's when the EU put in measures to reduce nitrogen emissions. Uh, now it's emerged that the European Commission is going to scrap a 30% reduction target in methane, nitrogen and other gases linked to farming from a new roadmap seen by the Times on how to hit emissions goals. People power has won through. If they did not go anywhere near those streets, this would not have eventuated. You can't bring farmers to their knees because all of a sudden you can't feed the world. Don't they understand all of this? And there are just some things in agriculture you can't take away from the farmer. Talk to the farmer about it. Don't do things behind their back. Well done to the farmers of Europe. And let's just hope in countries like the United States and Australia and New Zealand, when they do the same thing as we know they're doing in Ireland, etc., the farmers get support when they stand up there as well. Let's just hope that that is the case. Quick story out of the St. George Leader, which is a small local paper south of Sydney. A drag queen story time event for children to be held at Rockdale Library hosted by the ABC, of course it would be, has been cancelled after a hateful response from members of the public. Hateful? No, probably a common sense response from members of the public who thought, why are we inflicting this kind of gender theory uh, education on children? That's what it would have been. Let me read the rest of the story. The ABC was to host the four-hour story time event on February 22, which would have been filmed as part of its Mardi Gras coverage. So that tends to say to me that it's for adult consumption. And the ABC condemns the hateful and offensive response we have received from some individuals in response to the call out for this event. That's a spokesperson. The event will no longer be held at the Rockdale Library and the ABC is considering how we can safely host it. Um, it goes on. 
The Drag Queen Storytime was an ABC event, not a Bayside Council event. Now, when this first broke, the fact that they were going ahead with this, it was mentioned the fact that it was a Bayside Council event. Um, the mayor there was quoted as saying he had been aware that the event was to be held at Rockdale Library. Similar events, not hosted by the ABC, are being held this month at Marrickville Library, Sea Life Sydney Aquarium and Wildlife Sydney Zoo. Why do we have to inflict this kind of gender cultural trap on the minds and eyes of young children? Isn't that something that they don't need right now? Why do we have to do that? You know, I went through this all my life without being exposed to this as a child. And when I became almost an adult, I was exposed to this, either both at home and publicly, and I understood what transgender people were about and what they wanted to be and how they wanted to be respected in public, and I respect them for that. But why do we have to inflict this stuff on children in libraries? I've got no idea. Keep away from our kids. This is Chris Smith on TNT. It's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Anyway, uh, another victory for people power by the sound of it, although it's been called, you know, out of control aggression, etc. Well, at least it's been stopped by what I would have thought was a groundswell of common sense. All right, I've got the leader of the New South Wales Libertarian Party with me now, the newly elected Upper House MP, John Ruddick, MLC. JR, welcome to the program once again. Uh, good afternoon, Chris. Good to see you, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, you are uh, sitting in Parliament at the moment, so you may get the big dirty bells ringing any moment. Well, that is true. However, it is unlikely because what's um, what's uh, consuming well, what 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 they're doing in the chamber right now is that the condolence motion for the former treasurer um, Michael Egan, who passed away. Oh right, okay, yeah. Now a lot of people knew him well, and they're getting up and giving sort of a, a condolence speech. So I think we're clear, Chris, for for, for this interview. But okay, not, I, I call- quite impossible. You'll hear it if the bells go off. Okay, I call them dirty bells because they always interrupt interviews I do, and uh, I, I think they're uh, more negative than they are positive, but that's understandable. All right, I want to touch on this Tucker Carlson-Vladimir Putin reaction, even before we've seen anything. Firstly, will you be watching, and do you think it's a good thing that he's interviewing Vladimir Putin? Well, I'll certainly be watching. I think, I think you know, a lot of people, I think it's going to break the internet. I think it's going to be the most... <laughs> Watched interview. Look, it'll, it could be the most watched, uh, you know, uh, political interview in the history of the world. I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly can't think of anything. I mean, look, I know, you know, Winston Churchill would have given an interview and Joseph Stalin would have given an interview, but there was not the reach that we've got today thanks to social media. So, uh, and look, I, I have always been a big fan of uh, Tucker. Now, I think it's very, very good that we're going to go and hear from um, uh, President Putin. Winston Churchill once said uh, that jaw-jaw is better than war-war. So he says, look, it's better to talk to people rather than go and blow each other up. Now, that is correct. So um, <clears throat> so now, now I think that, look, the bottom line is Tucker is somewhat sympathetic to Putin. He's at least anti... Look, people like uh, Tucker and myself, they say that this is not as simple as the Western media is saying, the Ukraine war. They're saying that NATO has been... A- aggressive towards Russia for about 30 years. Hmm. Now, what what happened when the Berlin Wall came down in 1989 
Uh, now, now, but the Soviet Union didn't fall over to, for another two years after that in 1991. But what happened in the middle in 1990 was the Germans, which, you know, uh, you know, we had East Germany and West Germany, the Germans very, very, very much wanted to reunite. Now, the problem with that is, is that West Germany was part of NATO and East Germany was part of the Warsaw Pact, but the Berlin War had come down. So the Germans very, very, very much said, uh, to the world powers, the European powers, Russia and you know, France and America and Britain. They said, look, we really want to be one country. We want to be a, a, a German family again. World War II was two generations ago. And it was agreed. But the, and this Mikhail Gorbachev was the Soviet leader at the time. Margaret Thatcher was there and George Bush the first. And so they, and Helmut Kohl was the leader of West Germany. Now, what they said was very clearly, they said, okay, that the Soviets, uh, the, 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 Gorbachev was obviously the nicest of the Soviet leads, but he was still a, still a communist. And Gorbachev said, okay, okay, East Germany, you can reunite with uh, West Germany on the very, very strict proviso that NATO does not move, quote, unquote, one inch east. And that is the reason why Putin argues that he has a right to do what he does. And most people in the world don't know the history that you have just articulated. Absolutely. The, 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 the Western corporate media is lying to us. They're trying to tell us that Putin is Hitler. Now, I'm not saying he's a great bloke. You know, when I put it out on Twitter, Chris, I say Putin isn't Hitler. All these idiots come around saying, why do you love Putin so much? All I'm saying is he's not Hitler, okay? Mm. I mean, that's a pretty low uh, threshold to cross. Yes. So what happened? At, so so, so, so the, 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 the Russian, sorry, the British and the French and the Americans said, yep, 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 we'll never move NATO east one inch. That's what they said. Now, then what happened was the next year the Soviet Union falls over, even better than the Soviet, than the Berlin Wall coming down, and we had good relations with Russia in the 1990s. Now then, and, and yeah, I think we were having free trade agreements, there's a lot of Western investment going into Russia, everyone's happy, happy, happy. And, and then for no reason, in 1997, Bill Clinton says, oh, well, Poland, Hungary and the Czech, Czech Republic are all going to join NATO, and the mm. Russia says... What the hell for? And anyway, it's just kept growing. We've now got to the point where Russia is entirely encircled by NATO. Now, do you know why these? Do you know why NATO keeps wanting to do this? Because when a little country, let's say Bulgaria, joins NATO, which it has, Bulgaria signs an agreement. We're now part of NATO. You know what that means? Bulgaria's then got to upgrade their defence equipment so mm. it plugs into NATO. Mm. Now, 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 who who benefits out of that? The big massive defense contractors yep. Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon. Yep. They stay, they then go into Bulgaria, and Bulgaria says, Oh, well, we've got to plug things here. And so they make the lots and lots of money. That That is, look, you know, it, it is the military industrial complex. And so now they've got poor old Russia is surrounded. The people that won the Cold War, the really smart American policy analysts, people like George Kennan and others, which is worth looking up. He pleaded with the Americans in the late 1990s. He said, look, don't encircle Russia. Don't threaten Russia. They're just getting on their feet. They, they you know, they, they're roughly democratic. They were liberalising. George Kennan, who more than anybody else, he was the Russian ambassador in the 1940s, sorry, the American ambassador in Moscow in the late 1940s. And he laid out in the late 1940s, he wrote this essay about how we can win the Cold War. And he says, look, let's not have a war with them because they've got nuclear bombs. Let's contain them. Mm. Let's if if we don't if we don't let communism spread, it will eventually implode, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. And George Kennan, he was a very old man in in the nineteen nineties, 
And he pleaded with President, uh, President Clinton and the Senate. He says, look, don't threaten Russia with an encirclement because it'll make them paranoid, it'll make them nationalistic, and it'll make them aggressive. And that's where we are today. Yeah. So and, look at, and I started this program today um, pointing out that for the first time in 200 years, Sweden is heading towards war, not peace. They are conscripting their teenagers to defend their nation. For 200 years, they've been neutral. Yeah, well, and uh, the more neutral countries we've got in the world, the better. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping that the great Tucker Carlson, who, you know, like a lot of like a lot of the best journalists around the world, Chris, has been cancelled by the mainstream media. You know, half of your best friends are my best friends, mm -hmm. and God bless them. Now, now Tucker's been cancelled uh, over there, but boy, oh, boy, he's been a big success. Now, I think he's going to go over there. And I think it's good to hear from Putin. Now, yeah. maybe people, maybe he's not going to say anything interesting, but I can't see any downside by having dialogue. Let's yeah. hear what his concerns are yeah. rather than all these idiots that go around saying, oh, Putin's Hitler. You're not even allowed to talk to him. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. But this goes hand in hand with what they've been trying to do to anyone with an opinion. If it's not the net part of the narrative, the government narrative, the cultural narrative, it can't be allowed to be heard. Like, sorry, that's not democracy. It's not free speech. And they need to wake up to themselves. I want to go to Harvard University here. And I guess this is no surprise, but they've announced that uh, they're having another COVID vaccination man um, mandate for students next year. Is there anyone on that campus who understands the real science related to COVID, do you think, John? Well, this is about compliance. They, they want to have sheep who are going to go into the Harvard factory and come out at, programmed as the communists that now run Harvard want them to believe. Now, Harvard is a very old institution. Uh, you know, it's Massachusetts. So, you know, the, 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 the pilgrims, those, the, 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 the Puritans and the pilgrims, turned up in 1620 on the Mayflower in, in Massachusetts. And they, you know, it was an extremely important part of America. And they, and they were very intelligent, well-read people, those, those early people. And they built a magnificent uh, university. Now, I think it's the, in terms of what's the greatest, the most respected university in the world, it's either Oxford or Harvard. They're both extremely prestigious. Any parent that can have their kid go off to Oxford or Harvard, they're just going to say, well, I'm a big success in my life. My kid's gone to Harvard. But what has happened in the last two, and, and you know, th these great universities were always famous for a diversity of opinion, and, you know, a, 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 con a conflict of ideas, and you know, we can think about things. But what's happened is, you know, since the 1960s, hardcore left-wing academics have seized control slowly but surely. They all marched through the institutions and they've seized control of Harvard. Now, now what that's, COVID was, COVID was originally, in the very early days, a reasonably serious threat to people over the age of 80 and people who had other illnesses. It was never a threat to university students. It might have been a bad flu, okay, but no more than that. Mm. And so, but but now, three years after COVID, I mean, it's just petered out. These viruses peter out. They, they start off reasonably bad and they just sort of get weaker and weaker and weaker. Mm. Most people are probably catching COVID now, Chris. They don't even know they've got frigging Correct. COVID. Correct. So why is Harvard saying you can't yeah. get in next year uh, this year, unless you've had, you know, you're up to date with your shots because they just outrageous. want outrageous. They just want idiots. Yeah. I, I hope this is the end of Harvard. I mean, yeah. really, I mean, it's a disgrace. Yeah. And what, what do they don't, what, what do they not get about the fact that the booster rate right now is under 10% around the world? Like, grow up. Everyone's had enough. Yeah. Well, and look, look, you know, look, 
there are reasonably intelligent people out there making reasonably strong claims that the more boosters you have, the more sick it makes you. Now, I don't know whether that's true, but I think it should be something that's discussed. Mm. So, I mean, why on earth would you take these, the, 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 any more of these vaccines, which at, at a worst case, they didn't work? And here's, I mean, everybody else has, has lifted these silly COVID restrictions yes. almost. Uh, but Harvard, Harvard, no, it's because it's, this is a decision from, from the boss. They want people who are just going to, they want people who are going to lie, oh, yeah, 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 give me another shot, give me another shot, because because they're weak-minded fools. Correct, yes. They want the state to control everything we do because that is the socialist mantra. Can I take a quick break and come back with you, John, just a couple of minutes right here on TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago while exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done. And in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page, and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, so much more to come. Let's firstly get back to John Ruddick. Um, New South Wales has local council elections in September, John. Today you've launched the New South Wales Libertarian Party Local Council Crusade. What's this campaign about? Well, we are going to muscle up uh, for these local council uh, elections in September, and and I'll tell you why. Okay, now normally people who are interested in politics aren't haven't been particularly interested in local council because it's been about roads and rubbish and reducing yep. rates, simple things, practical things, non-ideological things. But I tell you what's been happening is, uh, without sort of any fanfare, the lefties have been coming in through these local councils, seizing control of them and bringing about a really pretty radical agenda. And it's happening in all the councils across yeah. New South Wales. It so is. It, it is. You, you, I walked into the Lane Cove Council um, a few, uh, couple of months ago, and we've still got COVID signs everywhere, vote yes signs everywhere, sorry signs everywhere, uh, Middle Eastern politics, of course. You know, they can't shut up about that. And, uh, you know, it just does uh, rainbow stuff everywhere nonstop. Uh, you know, so it's become a propaganda arm. So we, mm. we, the Libertarian Party is going to be contesting this very vigorously. I did give a speech in Parliament yesterday, which is on my uh, Twitter account, which I encourage people to have a look at. And uh, the, the lead, we're going to be putting out a local council freedom manifesto, which will be uh, circulating shortly. 
The number one point, Chris, is get woke BS out of council. That's that's the headline. Now, there's another thing, a, a very concerning thing, which is these smart cities. Now, I think we might have mentioned it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth just mentioning again. 15-minute cities, a whole that's heap right. of green crap. Well, it's, it's, this is George Orwell's nightmare. It's the beginning of it, but, you know, it's a slippery slope. Uh, now, look, if, if somebody stopped me in the street, and a few people did four years ago, they said, John, I'm really alarmed about these smart cities coming in through the lower councils. I was just sort of politely dismissive of them. I thought they were you know, a bit unhinged. I encourage all your listeners at the end of your show, Chris, to type into Google anywhere in Australia, uh, type in the name of your local council, and then type in the word smart cities. And that most of these local councils, like 90% of them, have got a big page. Oh, yes, we're introduced. The Tamworth City Council is introducing a smart city program. Now, what is it? They are erecting surveillance cameras everywhere. Now, this mm-hmm. is not your CCTV, which no one's looking at, and it doesn't, it, it just creates a, a video. So if there is a crime, we can go back and see it. Now, these surveillance cameras are looking at your number plate and other things, and they, they, they're tracking your movements. Now, at first, they're going to end up looking at your number plates, et cetera. Now, what they're going to do is it's going to, they're going to evolve into the position where they're going to reward you for not moving around much. And, and then it'll evolve into a position. It'll then evolve into where they're going to punish you if you move around too much. Now, of course, it's all in the name of global boiling. All mm. roads lead to, oh, Chris, all roads lead to global Correct. boiling. Correct. All roads, okay. And, yeah, that, you know, the Bureau, Bureau of Meteorology, remember when they had a few hot days in, uh, in Europe last last July? Our time? They, had, they had unusually hot days. Gee, these things have happened forever, okay? And then the UN Secretary General said, oh, well, you know, global warming's finished. It's global boiling, okay? So it's all, the, all roads lead to global boiling. And the Smart Cities Program is about treating us like farm animals so, so we can change the temperature. Now, all of it is, it's basically just communism, but there's a certain group of people out there in the political class and they want to rule over us. Now, yep. George, George Orwell was a brilliant man. I mean, you know, he wrote his books Animal Farm in 1984 in the early 1940s. He saw all this coming. Mm. So I want to make it's not as bad as what Orwell said, but it's heading in that direction. It yeah. really is. It really is. And uh, it, they're doing it through the local council. This is why you don't see it on the Channel 9 News at 6 o'clock. You don't see it on the ABC. It's not, it's not going through the federal parliament or the state parliament where the scrutiny would be. They're bringing it in through the local councils and they're particularly yep. attacking. They're starting back with the big coastal cities in New South Wales, Coffs Harbour, uh, Port Macquarie. It's not getting much fanfare, okay, but they, they, they are, it's coming. Now, the Libertarian Party is going to be the only party talking about it, I would say. We're certainly going to make a lot of noise about it. Most people don't know it's happening. They can see these cameras being erected. They just think, oh, well, it's just something, something. No, these things are designed to track you and treat you like a farm and all. So vote Libertarian Party in the New South Wales local council elections in September. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of your listeners, Chris, might even want to be a candidate or a volunteer. They might even want to donate some money to us. But we want to run very vigorously. Good. And they should look up Edmonton in Google when you look at 15-minute cities because that's one place uh, in which this plan is being foisted upon. Just outrageous. Now, another carbon tax has emerged in the state of New South Wales. For our car rego, we have an option to donate up to $80 for global boiling to do bugger all, of course. Um, I'd love to know how many people actually 
give $80 for this. I hope they tell us. Well, you know, uh, you can actually—I—I I, I think that's what I originally said in the tweet. I think it, that, 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 you can actually donate up to two hundred dollars if you want to. Two hundred. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, goody! Yeah, yeah. And it's to go to a carbon offset uh, program, an offset, you know, one of those things. Yeah. Now, I put six questions on notice to the minister uh, who's responsible for this, and he's got about twenty-eight days to respond. And I'll be—I will share those results with you. Now, uh, it all ends up. Where do the donations go? You know, sometimes when you when you buy something, you're asked to donate. You might be to feed hungry kids in Africa, or feed, mm-hmm. you know, look after the homeless here in Sydney or Australia, whatever. Right? No, no, this is going to a proprietary limited company, one of the part of the carbon uh, carbon offset industrial complex. And I've just asked the minister. I said, look, what is this a for profit company? You know, well, what are they going to actually do with it? But the very interesting thing is, this is for your car registration. Every single human being, which is a lot of us probably 80% of people who've got a car and they have to re-register their car every year, they then at the end of the process say, would you like to donate money? There's nothing. Donate money to help change the temperature. Uh, I want to know how many people will actually participate. I reckon it'll be about 0.2% of the entire population. (laughs) This is the real test about how many people really believe the global boiling apocalypse is real. Yes. Yes, make sure you demand through, uh, maybe you'll probably have to get it through freedom of information, John, but you want the statistics after a year in operation as to how many people donated their hard-earned $200 to save the planet. Uh, I will keep an eye on it, absolutely. (laughs) I'll keep her at the minister, and if we have to do an FOI, we'll do that. But it'll be fascinating to see how many truly dumb people there are out there who say yes Government, you've, you've, you've jacked up my electricity prices. You're building a surveillance state. And I now want to give you more money. Yep. I want to give you more money yep. to, um, to, to help. To, you know, so let, let's see how many truly moronic people there are out there. And those morons will probably look at the $80 and think, well, that's not going to do too much for the temperature of the planet. I've got to give 200 That'll make a difference. Look, it'll be very interesting to see. You know, I, I don't think there'll be many, but, you know, uh, it'll be a lot of fun to highlight it, Chris. One quick one before we let you go. Very very short. I know you've got uh, pressing engagements. Those stage three tax cuts, which were butchered, the big fat lie, the coalition has jumped on and said that we're supporting it, supporting it as well. And look, hardworking, successful Australians can hope for nothing from their government. They get punished again, don't they? Yeah, well, I want to say something that uh, uh, no, no, you know, other political parties don't have the guts and the courage to say. If you want to help poor people, give rich people tax cuts. Now, there'll be people out there who say, you're a disgusting, heartless person, John Ruddick, but it is the truth. If you give tax cuts to, to people on high income earners, they'll have more money in their pocket. And what will they do with it? They're going to grow their businesses. They're going to employ more staff. They're going to invent new products. And that's the reality. And that's how we lift people up. Bob Hawke, Bob Hawke in the 1980s, seriously cut the highest income earner, the the tax bracket on high income earners. And the economy took off. Now, now, there was a news poll out this week saying 63% of Australians support Albo's giving most of the tax cuts to lower income earners. I'm sure that's absolute, absolutely true, 63%. So the stupid Liberal Party, who just agree with everything I just said, that if you really want to help the economy, you really want to help poor people, give rich people a tax cut.
And I'm sure that those weak people in the Liberal Party down there in Canberra, they know that what I've just said is right. But they saw the news poll and they thought, oh, God, well, let's just go along with Albo. We don't want to lose votes. Yep. The most important thing about politics, Chris, is this. Great leaders don't follow polls. Great leaders change polls. But for the and Liberal we- Party right now, the polls are their Bible. That, that's right. It's their God. And that means they're just useless. Absolutely. They won't fight for principle. They won't try and convince people. The polls are at 63% because no one in the Liberal Party had the guts to get out there and make the case for the, the tax cuts. Mm. And so here we are. We've got 63% of people have just voted in more poverty for Australia. And I blame more than anybody else the Liberal Party. We know the Labor Party. You elect the Labor Party government. We know that they're going to raise taxes on higher income earners. That's just a fact of life. We had historically depended upon the stupid Liberal Party to make the case, but they are incapable of doing it. So Mm. vote Libertarian Party going forward future, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Vote Libertarian Party, federal, state, and this year in particular, local council. All right. The three tears, you're coming to get them. I like to hear that, John's fantastic. Thank you very much. I'll let you get back to the serious stuff, and thank you very much for your generosity. Good on you, Chris. We'll see you next Thursday. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Looking forward to that, as uh, all of our listeners and viewers would be as well. John Ruddick, MLC, the leader of the New South Wales Libertarian Party. So he's fighting not just at a federal level, but also at a state level and also when it comes to local government. I understand what he's trying to get at. I've got to take a break and get you some news, but I'll come back after that and talk to our former Intel officer, Shane Healy about the uh, rather significant developments in the last 12 hours in the Middle East. We'll do that after this on TNT. We're ready. We're ready. News. News. The news is our business, and we never close. Never close. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel has rejected a multi-stage, four-and-a-half-month-long ceasefire offered by Hamas, which would have ultimately ended the war. Victory is within reach. The UN Special Rapporteur on Torture has called on authorities in the UK to block Julian Assange's potential extradition to the US out of fear for his safety. And the US Senate has officially rejected the proposed $118 billion supposed border bill. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, I do want to get to our talkback lines. I haven't had a chance to remind you of our numbers because... We've been rather busy. There's lots of news going on, but you can be part of the conversation and you don't have to wait until after some of our guests have spoken. Jump in, have your say, ask a question, find out more. That's the best way to make an informed view or an opinion. So do so from the United States and Canada on one 201 6425 From the UK, you can phone 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, one 800 670 Three one zero. Let's get to the talkback lines right now. Andrew, welcome back to TNT. Hey, Smithy, good to be back for this week in Parliament, hey? Yeah, all happening. Hey, have you got an update for us on your little joust with the security of federal parliament? I do. They had a big fanfare, mate. They had out six cannons today just to welcome me to Parliament House. Hey, how good was that? No, the, the we all know that the uh, gentleman from PNG was down the president. Oh, so that was what it I, was for. Yeah, so as I walked up, 
a native plea officer and came over and said, excuse me, Mr McGowan, this is a uh, roped off area for today. Would you mind going down to the entryway and make your way inside? He knows me by name. I got to meet Kelly, who is in charge of uh, AFP in Parliament House. She was very apologetic about the way I was treated. And I put them on notice that I am taking them to the Human Rights Commission because this is wrong. I sat in the Senate yesterday and I listened about international human rights and I'm thinking about, what about my human rights that were violated in December? They haven't got a clue. Mm. They have not got a clue. And, uh, mate, I, I want to correct you. We don't have three levels of government in our country. We have two. Because councils are local government authorities. They're not a government body. They're not recognised by our constitution. They can only operate under the authority of the state or federal government and the legislation that they make because they don't have any power to make legislation. And yet they seem to be obsessed, especially the inner city local councils, obsessed with federal and international issues. Absolutely. How, how long have we had Marrickville Council anti-Israel? Oh, the worst. Years 20 years? Yeah. Yeah, this is... What business... Have local ratepayers? Why? I'm sure they're disgusted that the taxes that they're paying through their rates and all other taxes that get given back to council are being used for foreign policy mm. in a local government authority. LGAs, local government authorities. Yeah, they should all be kicked to the curb. They should lose their jobs, every one of them. Absolutely. I'm going to talk to a couple this week. I'm going to talk to Maitland City Council on. Uh, on Monday and addressing Port Stephens Council on Tuesday. And that's in relation to the uh, disability discrimination of all of their signage that says no dogs allowed in certain areas. Uh -huh. They need to put a disclaimer up that says yeah. assistance animals accepted because it's triggering a lot of people with assistance animals, a lot of anxiety. And then you've got local people who, who read the signs and think, well, the council put them up, they've got to be right, give you a mouthful saying you can't have your dog here. I say, excuse me, but I can. And then you've got to try and educate them. But because you've got the dog, you know the law, they don't want to listen to you. You tell me anything. Yeah, but we're going to try and take it one council at a time as we make our way around the state because I'm launching my campaign for independent. Well, I've spoken to the Libertarian Party. I'm still waiting for a phone call back from them. Mm. So I'm going to run as independent. I need a platform. Yeah, well, do it. You, you've said that to us before. I'm very, very keen to see how it all turns out because it's not an easy thing to do, though. Well, nothing worthwhile is ever easy. What no, was true. Winston Churchill's most famous speech? Never, never, never give up, give up. and walked off stage. Yep. Correct. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to get to Shane Healy. But thanks for jumping on, Andrew. Good to hear from you again. Appreciate mate. Thank you. Um, I just want to mentioned to you that uh, in Parliament, in Federal Parliament today in Canberra, the Prime Minister was under all kinds of pressure over some rental income. Let me get to the story. Um, Albanese is under fire over the 115000 a year rental income he's pulling in on top of his salary as Prime Minister, as interest rates soar for struggling families. Greens housing spokesman Max Chandler-Mather has taken aim at Anthony Albanese. So, it's come from the Greens, not from the opposition, um, for owning investment properties as he stepped up his campaign to scrap negative gearing laws. 
After growing up in public housing, the Prime Minister is now renting out two Sydney homes, including a mortgage-free Federation bungalow with a pool where he lives rent-free at the lodge. Let's be real, said Chandler Mather. If Labor wants to deal with housing affordability, then it's time to phase out the billions of dollars in tax concessions property investors get every year in the form of negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions. I couldn't disagree more because at the end of the day, that has given Australians an alternative, yes, an add-on to their mortgage and and an add-on to their investments and an add-on to their wealth, but also for many Australians now, an alternative to owning a home. That's what's happening. I can't afford a mortgage. I can't afford to buy a house, but I can afford to buy a little box in a suburb somewhere and start earning tax dollars out of it and get ahead. Don't take away what people should be getting ahead on. So I don't I don't um, support what the Greens are saying and what they're accusing Anthony Albanese of. Anthony Albanese, just like anyone else, is entitled to use negative gearing laws in Australia to gain advantage from renting out uh, accommodation. And we need more rental accommodation. That's why negative gearing came in, to encourage the opening up of accommodation. And we could do with a lot more of that right now. If we didn't have negative gearing, Chandler Mather will be sitting around with egg on his face because you wouldn't have any space uh, for renters to get into the market, to actually get a place to live. You wouldn't have it. Anyway, having said all of that, let's move on to other more worldly things and to the Middle East. A day after we discovered that 31 hostages from Israel are now dead, a deal to free the rest of them has been rejected. Now, it was a complicated deal, which we'll get to in just a second. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Hamas was delusional and he refused to accept any deal that would leave the terror group in partial control of Gaza. That was what they were submitting. Um, It's a terrible blow, of course, to the families who uh, must be in such great mental, physical pain knowing that more uh, hostages are dying and it could be their loved ones next. How they've survived that ordeal, I don't know. But surely Israel cannot entertain Hamas ruling Gaza again. They won't ever go back on that. Um, Let's unpack this development and others with the help of Shane Healy. Shane worked in the Australian Army as an intelligence officer and trainer and as a private military contractor too. He was deployed twice to Afghanistan as part of Task Force 66. And when in Australia, he was part of the tactical assault group East and West, where he was involved in several real-time terrorist incidents. He now works for both government and private firms in the area of threat assessment, often related to both suspects and those convicted of terror crimes. Shane Healy, welcome back to TNT. Good afternoon, Chris. Well, you were spot on correct on Monday when you are on the program about the number of hostages who uh, who died. That was obviously uh, intelligence that uh, the Israelis had but didn't release until yesterday. Sadly, Israel has confirmed that 31 are dead already, and now a hostage deal proposal has been rejected by the Israelis. I thought it seemed like a deal from what I read that seemed to be awfully skewed in favour of Hamas. Um, yeah, it's a three-phase deal that, that's been proposed. The first phase is a joint prisoner swap between Hamas and the Israelis. Hamas would give up all the elderly, uh, all the women and men under 19 for certain concessions and releases of Palestinian or or Hamas members out of jail. 
Then the next phase was up for debate on uh, the rest of the hostages and stuff. And then the third phase would be reconstruction of hospitals inside of Gaza uh, um, and the complete cease of um, the the war. It's the second part that's the non-starter with the Israelis. They're not going to agree to any terms where all Hamas members are released from Israeli jails. Mm. Now... There's also talk that Hamas has tried to engineer a way in which they relinquish total power in Gaza, but they have part um, control. That will never, ever be accepted by Israel, will it? No, no. And uh, I like to quote today in the Jerusalem Post that says, one party wants to end the war, the other party wants to end the other party. So that's that. That's the greatest assumption, in my opinion, is Hamas want the war over because to them they're going to have a, a sort of a win, but Netanyahu is not going to relinquish. He, he wants the destruction because once the war ends, he's back before the Israeli courts for corruption and he'll probably be rolled as a prime minister. So it's in his personal best interest to keep the war going too. We can't forget that. Okay, I want to talk further. I've got to take a break. Um, having taken a couple of calls, I've... Uh, running a little bit late, but we'll do this. I'll come back in a couple of minutes. Shane, Shane Healy, my special guest, will unpack what's occurring in actual Gaza, on the land in Gaza, and also what the Houthi rebels are up to as well. Um, Shane Healy, right after a break on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the latest in the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial is a little bit interesting, and I'm trying to figure out if this is right. Apparently, Dr. Mann's lawyers, there are four of them, and remember, Mark Stein is defending himself by himself. Apparently, they've asked for a nominal fee as far as damages go, and there is a rumor that what was asked for, now sit down, you ready for this? was $1. Now, Mark Stein has spent around $3.5 million, I've heard. I don't know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Defending himself from Michael Mann and Michael Mann's lawsuit over the fact that Mark Stein thinks that Michael Mann hid the data and he called him a fraud, right? Now, I could see, for instance, let's say uh, the number one climatologist in the world said that to you. That's one thing. But Mark Stein is a journalist. That's the first thing. Second thing is he had to raise the money to defend himself. And we've gone over this. But $1? Why would Michael Mann only want $1? You know why? He just wants the decision. He just wants to be able to say, see, he actually did defame me. I won the court case. Well, I don't think Stein wants any part of that because of the fact that he wants to drill it home that what Michael Mann did, take two samples out of 22 and then hide, he did. He hit the data from people who would criticize it and actually tear it apart. Mark Stein wants that to come out. One's pursuing the truth, the other seems to be hiding it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom and your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org.
Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, Shane Healy, I want to talk about the Houthi rebels. Um, We know that their bases copped a pounding by both U.S. and U.K. forces over the weekend, but they don't let up this mob. Uh, They've now targeted two ships using ballistic missiles. You'd have to say that at this stage they're on some kind of suicide mission, aren't they? Well, uh, like we said last week, they're just doing what the Iranians are asking them to do. While the um, the war in Gaza is still going on, they have legitimacy in their eyes to, to hold that shipping up, and that's costing millions and millions of dollars around the world and giving Iran a bit more strategic prestige. So they're just going to keep it up like we'll see the militias in both Iraq and Syria conduct attacks. It's Iran fighting a proxy war. Until the Houthis are wiped out entirely? Is that is that what's going to happen? Well, no, again, they're a, a culture just like the Palestinians in Gaza, and it's a, um ideology that, that you won't wipe out entirely, but they will have a military defeat. I said this from the start, you can't beat the Americans' air power, so they will just continue to bomb them until there's a resolution. But the key to all of this is peace in Gaza. Once that happens at an international and strategic level, it'll quieten everything down. Until that happens, this is going to give the Iranians the ability through proxies to continue striking throughout the Middle East. Okay. Let me ask this unanswerable question. When is peace going to come to Gaza? It won't be 2024, will it? I think... In my assessment, the only thing at this stage that will bring peace in Gaza is if Netanyahu is replaced. His statement earlier today where he is going to settle for nothing but absolute victory, what is victory to him is that all the Palestinians are out of Gaza, which we've discussed that's just not going to – the international community won't allow that to happen. And you saw the Arab countries finally unite behind this peace deal. Um, And so I think – the Americans will play a bigger part, especially coming into their election, and will pretty much influence the Israelis to accept the ceasefire in the coming weeks. Now, there was a mention in the last 12 hours of the US killing a Shia militia leader in Iraq. What is this all about and what's it got to do with what's going on in Gaza? So this is the leader of uh, Khatib Hezbollah, the Iraqi Shia group that conducted the attack, killing the three US servicemen in Jordan. Right, in Jordan, right. Yeah, so that so he was he's the leader of that group. And uh-huh. if you remember at the time I said sometimes uh, you give a bit of information to let the pattern of life play out, they finally got him into an area where there was zero civilian casualties. He was in the open and they took their shot. Right. And... It's fascinating to know how they knew where he was and fascinating to know how they knew that he was responsible. How does that happen? Uh, So we've discussed uh, previously various forms of intelligence. They've got signal intelligence where they track um, technical devices. They've got human intelligence. They've got sources all through Iraq because, like I said uh, last week, the American and the Australian Special Forces set up these Shi militia groups back in 2014-15, because we were all on the same side, getting rid of ISIS out of Iraq. Mm-hmm. 
So we know who these key characters are. We know where they live. We know where their bases are. And, and that's what I was alluding to last week. It's just a matter of with uh, the satellite and the US drone packages that they've got following their pattern of life and getting them into an area where they're out of uh, civilian range. And that's what the Americans are waiting for. I want to go back to Gaza. On the Gazan, so Gazan side of this conflict, the UN says more than half a million Gazans are reportedly facing catastrophic hunger. Um, even if that is not the case, you'd have to suspect that uh, a number close to half a million would be facing catastrophic hung hunger. Reducing access to food, of course, Shane, has been a common tactic in previous wars. Is this what the Israelis are doing? 100%. And we, we've just been discussing this for weeks. Um, it, it's a common um, practice used throughout Africa. That's why the Australian troops, if you remember, in the 90s deployed to Rwanda and to Somalia. The same thing that was happening. The UN were trying to get food and humanitarian aid into the local civilians and armed groups were stopping it. That's what's happening here. Whether people like it or not, the facts are that the Israelis uh, have been stopping all humanitarian food and aid into uh, Gaza for a number of weeks now. Um, rightly early on, but, you know, as Tom goes by, you just can't let civilians die like this. So this is all factual. I think that number is pretty accurate. And um, we will see civilians, unfortunately, always take the brunt of any conflict. Yeah. Okay. They sure do. I appreciate your time um, at an interesting juncture in this war. Thank you for that, Shane. All the best. Anytime, Chris. Have a good weekend. No problem. Um, the former intel officer for the ADF, Shane Healy. Um, he's not the only one, of course. If I if I sounded like he was, he's not the only one. A lot of them. Um, but it's interesting to hear how he understands the tactics involved in starving a population, the tactics involved in tracking down someone suspected of carrying out an attack on US soldiers. And they got their man, apparently, in Iraq in the last 24 hours. All very interesting. Uh, former ACCC chair in Australia, Alan Fells, has called for the dismantling of big businesses operating in Australia that break competition laws. A report authored by Fells and commissioned by the ACTU handed down today investigates price gouging and price practices by big business. It found a lack of competition was allowing exploitative practices, which added to inflation. In other words, they're exploiting you and forcing you to pay more money. Fell said there was a strong case for a law that would see the breakup of big businesses that have a powerful impact on competition. He said the USA had successfully applied its law to break up the oil, tobacco and chemical industries, and more recently, the telecommunications industry. US authorities are also probing tech companies such as Google, Amazon, Meta and Microsoft over claims of anti-competitive behaviour. Uh, these digital platforms are currently under an ongoing probe by both the ACCC and ACMA in Australia. Fells has urged the government to implement the recommendations of his pricing inquiry by next year. He says currently Australia lacks specific powers to break up big businesses that break the competition law. But there was a strong case for such a law because the structure of an industry can have a powerful effect on competition. Uh, Fells also rounded on the high cost of electric vehicles in Australia here, here, compared to New Zealand. He said this was the result of a rule introduced by previous governments 
to protect the local car industry. Uh, given we no longer make cars in Australia, Fells called for the restrictions to be lifted immediately, as they should, which would result in a sharp fall in EV prices. You see, this is like having a foreign import tax on cars. They're all imported now. We don't make cars in Australia anymore. So that shouldn't exist. And neither should this particular impost, as Fells mentions today. He's right. And then you could get cheap EVs and how wonderful it would be to be able to operate an EV in a city area where they're, I think, most suited to. Fells also wants companies to justify why they should merge before the process goes ahead. He recommends the introduction of a pre-merger notification system along similar lines to OECD countries. So in terms of this competition law for businesses, the United States is way ahead and Australia is catching up. In terms of the law to justify mergers, well, you can tell what's happening there as well. All OECD countries are moving down that path, but not Australia. It just in so many ways shows you what a backward country Australia has become. We need to catch up with all of this. We need to ensure that you know business remains competitive. They don't spoil the broth so we end up paying more at the grocery store. That's important for consumers. Don't forget that. So Fells is fighting the good fight for us. And as for the OECD countries, uh, looking at companies merging, well, there's got to be an indication of why there's a merger. Or is it a case of restricting competition to then inflate per prices, which, of course, um, achieves the same kind of negative? Now, I want to refer to you to a story I got across today from the Sydney Morning Herald. It came out of Singapore. China has spent much of this year telling the world it is open for business. And as we know, the economy uh, isn't on its knees, but it's kind of heading that way. Uh, nothing could have damaged that image further than the suspended death sentence it handed down this week to Australian academic and Chinese government critic Yang Heng Jun. See, you say something negative about the Communist Party, they will pay you back. Chinese President Li Qiang told world leaders at Davos in January that China was a country most worthy of trust and that choosing to do business there is not a risk but an opportunity. Maybe he uh, should mention that to young Hang Diung. Big business no longer shares that kind of optimism anywhere around the world, and that's the truth. As this story points out, last year, for the first time, foreign companies not only failed to reinvest in China, but started selling their existing investments, pulling more than $152 billion out of its economy, according to the Peterson Institute for International Economics. That is the big cross against doing business in China, and China has got to understand why. Beijing's campaign against foreigners working in China is playing a leading role in driving them out, and that's exactly the case. If you get a chance, um, do have a look at that particular story in the Sydney Morning Herald because it sums up exactly the problems um, that exists. Now, talking about getting across competition, the federal government has directed ACMA today to make it mandatory for telcos to provide financial hardship assistance to all customers. So something that might benefit those who can least afford their telephone and telecommunications bill at the moment, which has got to be a good thing. I have run out of time. That has been Fast and Furious. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Dean Mackin is up next. This is Chris Smith. Let's do this again at the same time tomorrow on TNT.